Times Bible study uh, this evening that we've been going through the series on uh, things of end times Bible prophecy. Tonight, the title of the subject or the sermon is End Times Babylon 2020 or Babylon 2020. We're going to be identifying Babylon in 2020. And a subtitle that you can take for this sermon is Babylon Jerusalem. Babylon Jerusalem. So I'm going to be going over the proofs in the Bible. I'm going to be giving you 10 solid proofs from Scripture, from the Bible, that prove who in times Babylon is. Now, Babylon is a title that is given to you know this end time city that is going to be the hub of the new world order of the new world kingdom when the Antichrist is going to be reigning on the earth. It's obviously not literal Babylon. We're told that literal Babylon is destroyed and will never be inhabited again. But what it is, is it's going to have the spirit of Babylon. It's going to have all the characteristics of Babylon. Some of those things, just briefly, are as follows. Number one, it is going to be a one world kingdom. It's going to be a kingdom that reigns over, an empire that reigns over the entire world. It's going to have a massive amount of power or a massive amount of control. Not only that, it's going to be a very evil or wicked city. It's going to be a very evil city. <laughs> we see that with Babylon. They were very evil. They're very dark and wicked. Uh, their, their practices when they came in were very cruel, the way in which they destroyed cities and harmed and hurt people. But not only that, uh, another strong parallel between the two uh, uh, cities is this is the, the, uh, the, the king of the city of Babylon of the Old Testament was Nebuchadnezzar. Well, Nebuchadnezzar was a great picture of the Antichrist. And this man is going to have much power. This man is going to desire people to worship him. So these are the reasons why we see the end time city uh, that w the Antichrist is going to be reigning from referred to as Babylon. We look at with me at uh, Rev Revelation, excuse me, Revelation chapter number 17, look at verse number 5. The Bible says this, And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. So we can see that this city, and we're going to get into the fact that it is a city. We're going to show that from Scripture. We can see that this city is referred to as Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. She's also referred to as the great whore. We're going to see that a couple of different times uh, in the book of Revelation. But notice there she's called Babylon the Great. So this is a legitimate title that the Bible gives to this particular city. Now there are many different theories out there on who people think that Babylon is. Now when we come to something, we're studying something in the Bible, we're going to derive our answers from the Bible. We're going to compare scripture with scripture and whatever we believe on any subject, it's going to come from the Bible. We're not going to look at the geopolitical state of the world and see how things are turning about and hey, you know, maybe this city is starting to look like maybe it could be Babylon. I'm going to go to the Bible and I'm going to study the Bible and I believe that we'll find our answer in the Bible itself. Now, the majority of the time that we spend tonight is going to be in the book of Revelation, which makes sense for a few reasons. Number one, this is where Babylon is discussed. This is where Babylon is revealed and talked about. And number two, the book of Revelation is just that. It's the book of Revelation. Revelation. It's meant to reveal and show things to us. And in Revelation chapter number 17 here, we see the great whore being discussed. But not only that, in Revelation chapter number 17, we are given 
the uh, revelation of who the great whore is. And as I said, the majority of the proofs that I'm going to go through tonight, there's going to be 10 total, and there are many other besides these. There are tons of other proofs. And I preached a whole series, a, a three-part series and two sermons that were both very long on the subject of the identity of the great whore. And there are numerous other proofs that I'm leaving out of this one sermon. This is going to be kind of a concise uh, sermon that I'm going to barrage you with just a bunch of different scriptures on the identity of the great whore. So the first proof is going to be here in Revelation chapter number 17 and it is the title that the great whore or this city is given. There in verse number 5 first we saw that it's mystery Babylon the great the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Now if we back up <coughs> to verse number 1 it says this and there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. So notice he says he's going to show unto them the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Now, a very similar statement is made in Revelation chapter number 21 when it talks about the bride. And it makes a very similar statement in verse number 9. We're going to go there later so you don't have to turn there now. It says, And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. Now, in that chapter, it is actually revealed to John, the one who's speaking with this angel, who the angel is speaking to, the identity of the bride. Just very clearly, it is, it is revealed to him. So these are obviously parallel passages. Here in Revelation chapter number 17, we see that the angel says that he is going to reveal who the great whore is to him. Now if we skip down in this same chapter, Revelation chapter number 17, I want you to look with me at verse number, we'll begin looking at verse number 15. It says this, And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are people, are peoples, and multitudes, and nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will, and to agree, and give their kingdom unto the beast, until the words of God shall be fulfilled. So now he showed her, or showed him, I'm sorry, her destruction, or her judgment. That was what it said in verse number 1. He was going to reveal the judgment of the great whore. He's finished revealing the judgment of the great whore. I want you to look at verse number 18. A very important verse here in Revelation chapter number 17 when it comes to the, regarding the identity of Babylon. It says this, and the woman which thou sawest, watch this, is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Now in Revelation chapter number 21, the identity of the bride is revealed with very similar wording. But when we look here in Revelation chapter number 17, verse number 8... <clears throat> It gives us a little title here, and, and, and I would like to call these things trigger words. It titles the great whore or Babylon by a particular name. And in this name is obviously meant to reveal the identity of this city. And it says this, And the woman which thou sawest is that great city. And then it follows it up with, Which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Now it's very obvious that that is meant to give a revelation. He said, Hey, I'm going to tell you who the great whore is. And that's the statement that we are followed up with or that is given afterwards. I want you to go in your Bibles to Revelation chapter number 11. So this is the first proof of 
the city of Jerusalem being in times Babylon. We saw there that it is that great city. Well, this is not just an obscure statement. It's a very specific statement that is used throughout the book of Revelation to refer to a city. And I want you to look in Revelation chapter number 11 with me. Look at verse number 8. It says this about the two prophets that are going to come back uh, during the end times. It says, And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city. And then it says this, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So notice there the title that is given to the city that it's talking about right now. It says, And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city. Then it reveals the identity of that great city to you. And it's just, I love the Bible because it's so clear. There's no misunderstanding it. There's no misconstruing it. It says, which, so now he's going to tell you specifically what that great city is. Which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. And then it says this, where also our Lord was crucified. Now I want you to notice that it's, it's revealed in a very cryptic, mysterious way. But does it tell you what city it's referring to. And notice that it wants you to now identify the city that it's referring to as what title? That great city. Now let, let's go ahead and reveal what this city is. Where was the Lord Jesus Christ crucified? Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city that the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified in. But do you find the, the word or that, that particular name in this text? You do not. Why? Because in your mind, God is reprogramming your mind right now. He's redefining that city as what? The great city or that great city. Further proof here, and you know, this is just makes perfect sense of that, is where are the two prophets sent when they come down to the earth? They're sent to Jerusalem. And at that time, what is it referred to as being? Which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. So notice it's a very dark, wicked, evil place, right? And not only that, we see that the title in the very beginning of, you know, uh, of the book of Revelation, very early on in the book of Revelation, before it really gets into the city that is the great whore, we can see it being referred to as that great city, and it identifies it as Jerusalem. The only time that, that the identity of the title, the great city, is revealed throughout the book of Revelation is right here. This is all that you get. This is your definition in the book of Revelation of what the great city or that great city means. And it's very clear that it's, it's meant to tell you and meant to redefine you know, uh, the, the name of Jerusalem as what? The great city or that great city. Now I'm going to be, as I said, just kind of flying through each of these points because I want this to be kind of an overview of some of the points that are very strong points to prove that uh, the city of Jerusalem is actually going to be in times Babylon. So right there we can see that in Revelation 17, yeah, when, when the identity of the great whore is revealed, it says, And the woman which thou sawest is that great city. We look up that phrase in the book of Revelation, and it very clearly defines Jerusalem as that great city. We can see that that's where the action's happening, that's where the heat's going on. Go to Revelation chapter number 18. Now what I'm about to show you right now is, <clears throat> is the strongest proof. There's no getting out of it. This is the last nail in the coffin. The final nail in the coffin. There is no argument. This is one of those things that's so clear that I'm, I'm not open-minded. You can hear very clearly what I'm saying right now. I'm not open-minded even slightly about it being any, any other city than Jerusalem. You know when you listen to every other person that preaches on end times, 
They're always, they always say the same things. Every single person, I don't care who you're listening to, Chuck Missler, you know, Steven Anderson, whoever it is, anybody who's given you their interpretation of who the end times Babylon is, they always say this, if it happens in my lifetime, it'll be fill in the blank. Their interpretation. Why? Because they're not basing what they believe upon Scripture. Because they're looking at these vague descriptions in the Bible, not allowing it to reveal the actual identity, but kind of looking at just vague descriptions and then trying to say, who lines up with this in the world today? No, the Bible actually tells you who the city is. The Bible actually gives you, I mean, descriptions that cannot be, it's not, it's not based upon the geopolitical state of the world. Things that isolate it and make it very, very clear. So I'm not even slightly open-minded about it being any other city other than Jerusalem. And I'm going to show you why right now. This is the coup de gras, right? Does everybody know what that phrase means, the coup de gras? That's a phrase that's talking about the final blow in a battle. It means that someone is, you know, it's when there's a wounded soldier, if you will, a wounded person in a battle, and then you just finish him off with the final blow. This is the coup de grace. There is no argument. There's no discussion. The debate's over with this point right here. Revelation chapter number 18 is talking about the destruction of this city. And it says this. I want to read at the end of the chapter. <coughs> it says this in verse number... Uh, 18. <clears throat> and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? Notice that. And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. For in one hour is she made desolate. Now look at verse 20. <coughs> Rejoice over her, Thou heaven and ye holy apostles and prophets, watch this, for God hath avenged you on her. Now I want you to notice that the destruction of the great whore, the destruction of this end time city of Babylon, that <clears throat> there's a loud voice that cries out and says, Rejoice over her, thou heaven and ye holy apostles and prophets. And then they say this, For God hath avenged you on her. Now, what does that mean? What, is, what does it mean to avenge? You, know, you have the, the avenger of blood in the Old Testament. What that means is someone has harmed you, hurt you. In the Old Testament, it means someone killed you. And what is supposed to take place is the person that is next to kin, if they killed you, you know, uh, uh, in, 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 uh, in an, uh, I'm trying to think of a word, but not illegal way, but uh, the, it's un an unrighteous way. They killed you and you didn't deserve it, right? It, it didn't go through the law or you weren't attacking them and it was unrighteous, right? Well, the person that is next to kin for you, they are required to go out and avenge your blood. Now, if they went out and killed any other person other than the person that killed you, what would happen? They'd be punished, right? So what do they have to do? What's the only way that they could avenge your blood? What would they have to do? They would have to kill the person that killed you. So <clears throat> what we know from this is that when they're avenging the blood, when God is avenging the blood of the prophets and of the apostles, what is He doing? He is destroying the city that did what? That killed the apostles and the prophets, right? Doesn't that make perfect sense? That is what's taking place here. Okay, well, I want you, you can keep your hand here, slide a bulletin in there if you will. Uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter number 22. Matthew chapter number 22. All the answers are found in the Bible. <clears throat> Matthew chapter number 22. 
<clears throat> I just told you to turn to the wrong place. It's Matthew chapter number 23. Matthew chapter number 23. Look with me at verse number... <coughs> Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. The Bible says this. Old Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Now, if that's not clear enough, I don't know what is. Old Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus Christ is specifically addressing a city here, and he says, Old Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And then what does he, he identify them as? He says, thou that killest the prophets. So what do we know that the end times Babylon does? Very clearly, they killed the prophets. Not only that, we're going to get to this in a minute, but they killed the apostles as well. And what God did when he destroyed and brought judgment upon that city, end times Babylon, was he avenged the prophets. Well, according to what Jesus said here in Matthew chapter number 23, who killed the prophets? Jerusalem is who killed the prophets. So in order for God to avenge the blood of the prophets, who would God have to destroy? Jerusalem. Just another proof among many that the city of end times Babylon must be Jerusalem. Look with me also in this same chapter if you just want to get real specific. Look at verse number 34. Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. Watch this. <coughs> that upon you may come all the righteous bloodshed upon the earth. From the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. I know I pointed out this last time, but I find this very interesting that it's A to Z. Number one, it's Abel to Zacharias. But not only that, it's also chronological. Isn't that interesting? Abel is the very first prophet that was killed. And it's, you know, Cain, of course, right? And it was the one who slew him. But then you also have Zacharias. And notice what he says that, <coughs> he says that upon you, talking about Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, is going to come all the righteous bloodshed. And then he goes into what we read in verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets. So according to the Bible, who kills the prophets again? Jerusalem. Who killed the prophets in Revelation chapter number 18? Babylon. And God was avenging the blood of the prophets. Therefore, he's destroying Jerusalem. And listen to me. You have no other choice. Everyone has been eliminated now. That's why I said this is the coup de grace. You have no other choices. And I'm going to narrow it down even further. And you know, even though you know, it's completely over, you have no other options besides Jerusalem, I want to show you that it's even, even more so you know, sealed tight than that, uh, uh, watertight. Look at, uh, look at uh, Luke chapter number 11. This is a parallel with this. Luke chapter number 11. In Revelation chapter 18 verse, verse 20, it said, <clears throat> And ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged your honor. So it's not only the prophets that are being avenged, it's also who? The apostles. Now the apostles are basically the New Testament counterpart to the prophets. They're just those that were sent directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. The prophet is someone who is sent directly from God while he was in heaven. An apostle is someone that's sent directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see also that they must have killed the apostles. Now we know very clearly who the apostles were. They began and they lived at the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So we can narrow this down even further. We don't even need to, but we can narrow it down even further. Also in Revelation chapter number 18, 
Verse 24, it said this, And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. What did Jesus say again? He said, all the righteous bloodshed. Notice that? And it says, and all that were slain upon the earth. I want you to look with me at Luke chapter number <coughs> 11. Let me get there myself. Luke chapter number 11. <coughs> we have a couple of places we'll look here in the book of Luke. There's two chapters. Luke chapter number 11. This is probably the one we're going to spend the most time on this point just because it is, as I said, the, the coup de grace. It's the nail in the coffin. Look at Luke chapter number 11. Look at verse number 47. <coughs> Woe unto you, for ye build the sepulchres of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Truly ye bear witness that ye allow the deeds of your fathers. For they indeed killed them, and ye build their sepulchres. Now look at verse 49. Therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets, now watch this, and apostles. And some of them they shall slay and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets... <coughs> which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation. And then he just repeats the same verse that we read in verse number 51. Now I want you to notice that where did God, where did Jesus send the apostles? Where? What city? Jerusalem. He didn't send them to any other city. He sent them nowhere else. He sent them specifically to where? Where did he send them? To the city of Jerusalem. Now, I want you to turn over to Luke chapter number 13. There's a couple of points I'm going to make off of this. Uh, but Luke chapter number 13. We see that Jerusalem was responsible for killing the prophets. We see also that Jerusalem was responsible for killing what? The apostles. Apostles are those, again, that were sent by the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, we know the 12 apostles. There are also more than that. He, he ordained 70 other. But Jesus himself says that he sent them prophets and apostles, that is Jerusalem, so that when he went to destroy and to, and to avenge the blood of prophets and apostles, that he could avenge it all at one time upon one city and upon one group of people. And what was it? It was Jerusalem. Now, this is why I say it's the coup de grace. Because the Lord Jesus Christ says this. He says, I must walk today and tomorrow. Why? Because it cannot be that a prophet die outside of Jerusalem. It cannot be. What does that mean? It's not possible. Like, it won't happen. It cannot be that a, that a prophet die outside of Jerusalem. Why? The same reason that he just said right now. He said, this is the wisdom of God. I'm going to send you prophets and apostles so that I can avenge all the bloodshed all at one time upon one city. So he made sure that when he sent the apostles even afterwards, when they were about to die or when there was going to be a martyr, he made sure that they went there and died there. Anyone that's martyred, they're going to make sure that of the prophets of the Old Testament, and not just, not just anyone that's martyred, period, but specifically, make sure that you're understanding me, specifically, apostles and prophets. He made sure that when they were martyred, that they died in Jerusalem. James, that was beheaded, where did he die? What city? Jerusalem. He died in Jerusalem. Every apostle. Now, now here's the thing. This is why this <coughs> eliminates like every option. Did the Roman Catholic Church exist at that time? No. Did the United States of America exist at that time? No. Did the literal city of Babylon, Iraq, Iran area, did that exist at that time? No. So is it possible for them to have slain or killed the apostles specifically, or even the prophets? Not possible. Do you know the only one that's possible? The one that tells you that did it? Jerusalem, the city that had the apostles and the prophets coming there constantly. The one that Jesus said, hey, it's not possible that a, that a prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. 
that city. So when they avenge the blood, God avenges the blood of the prophets and apostles by destroying and judging the great whore. Do you know what option that you have for your city of Babylon? You only have one option. This is why I say, listen to me, I am not open-minded even slightly. I am just as sure that the city of Babylon in times the great whore is Jerusalem that I am that salvation is by grace through faith alone. It is that clear. You have no other choice. Anybody in here, even just hypothetically play the devil's ad advocate. Anybody. Who could it be? Who could it? Just think in your mind for a minute. What other options do you have? None. You can't even... Outside of the fact that Jesus said a prophet can't die outside of Jerusalem. Outside of the fact that he says, hey, I'm going to make sure I send all the apostles and all the prophets there. Outside of the fact that he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets. Oh, I wonder who that could be. Outside of that, even if you just try to think about the timeline, you have no other choice. There's no other city that is around today that was around then. You have no other option. Do you hear me? There is no other choice of who end times Babylon could be. Now I realize, and I don't know if everyone else here realizes this, that this is probably the one of at least top three most controversial doctrines that we hold to. I don't know if everybody realizes that, but independent Baptists on, you know, by and large, are very, very big into Zionism. Extremely big. So, <coughs> you, know, you know, not only are we saying they're not God's chosen people, but we're saying that the city of Babylon in the Bible, the great whore, and how much hatred do independent Baptists have for the Roman Catholic Church? They're just constantly on the Pope, aren't they? Why? Because they think it's the great whore. Now, they're wicked and evil as hell, of course. But they're on the Pope constantly. They're on the Roman Catholic Church constantly. They love harping on that. Why? Because they believe that it's the, the great whore of the Bible. Well, guess what? We believe that it's Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. And that the end times religion is going to tie in with Judaism. And you know what? That's, that is an extremely controversial doctrine. So we're taking an even further step. Not only are we saying they're not God's chosen people, we're saying like the Bible says that they're Antichrist. And that their religion is an Antichrist religion. But it's as clear as day. This right here is, we could close our Bibles and go home. This ends the argument. There is no other choice. It literally, what this does is it eliminates every option. And then it only leaves you with one city. The city of Jerusalem. You know what your choice is that's left? Not only even with it telling you that they killed it, killed the prophets, but it's still your only choice that you have left. It's just Jerusalem. That's it. So this right here alone <coughs> is game over. <coughs> so they killed the prophets. That was point number two. Point number two was, or I'm sorry, three was that they killed the apostles as well. They killed the apostles. Point number four is this, and this is just kind of a sub point to that. Um, go to 1 Peter chapter number five. Peter reinforces this. <coughs> Peter reinforces this. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> first Peter chapter number 5. You may or may not have noticed this. You might have just read over this. But in First Peter chapter number 5, he gives his salutations to whom he is writing. And he mentions where, he, where he's located. Notice what it says in First Peter chapter number 5, verse number 13. The church that is at Babylon elected together with you, saluteth you. And so doth Marcus, my son. Do you notice what he said? You know where he's located? He's in Babylon. Now, is he in Iraq or Iran? No, he's not. But do you know where he believed that he thought that he was? Was there a literal Babylon on earth at that time? 
No, he knew it was a spiritual Babylon, didn't he? Wherever Peter was, that was spiritual Babylon. What choices do you have? Is it the Roman Catholic Church? What choices do you have? I, it, it's very obvious. Now, let me ask you this. If you study the timeline, the book of Acts, do you know where you see Peter 90% of the time, number one? Jerusalem. Do you know where you see Peter, like, not wanting to leave? And you see him, like, telling other people to go elsewhere. You, and you know where you see him staying? Jerusalem. Do you know the last place that you see Peter? Jerusalem. Not only that, do you know where I know without a shadow of a doubt that Peter died? Jerusalem. Do you know why? Because in John chapter 21, Jesus prophesies that Peter, that Peter was going to be martyred and that he was going to die a death that would glorify God, right? And there are theories on how specifically to interpret what Jesus was saying on how he died, but it's very clearly teaching that he is going to die a death that glorified God and that he's going to be taken somewhere and executed. Where does a prophet have to die? Jerusalem. So, maybe it made perfect sense. Maybe that, that, that Peter had another reason why he stayed in Jerusalem. Maybe he just knew and it was kind of like a self-fulfilled prophecy. And maybe we're, maybe we're too hard on the guy and he just knows like, Jesus' words have to be true and I'm just, you know, theorizing right now. Maybe that's why he stayed. But either way, maybe, maybe you know, Jesus prophesied it just because Peter wouldn't leave, right? And he ended up dying because of that. But either way, we know that Peter had to have died in Jerusalem. Because he died the death of a martyr and Jesus said, I'm going to send apostles and prophets to you and you're going to kill them. Peter was an apostle. Jesus also said, it cannot be that a, that a prophet die outside of Jerusalem. So you know where Peter died? Jerusalem. Do you know where Peter says that he was? Do you know where Peter was all throughout the book of Acts and the apostles and everything? Do you know the last place Peter's mentioned of being? Jerusalem. And he says here, the church that is at, Jeru or at Babylon. The church that is at Babylon. Literal Babylon wasn't around, but you, get, you know what was? Spiritual Babylon. Spiritual Babylon. The same city that's here today. You know what it is? The city of Jerusalem. So, this again eliminates so many, so many other options. Obviously, number, point number two and three, it's game over already. But this just plays into that. Uh, point number five. That just real quick, and we're not going to look at the scriptures that align with this. Everyone's aware of this. We could, though, but uh, where did Nebuchadnezzar reign from? This is just common sense. This just makes it even just logically look like a stupid idea for it to be US, the USA. Where did Nebuchadnezzar reign from? Babylon, right? He, he reigned from Babylon. Obviously, end times Babylon is called Babylon because it's spiritual Babylon. It's not physical or literal Babylon. It reflects... Old uh, uh, Testament Babylon, like Old Testament scriptures, that is, and it reflects Babylon of you know the BC era that ended in like you know the fifth century BC, right? <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar reigned in the city, of course, where he was the king of, of the city that was the you know the the hub or the capital of his kingdom, right? I mean, it just makes sense, doesn't it? That's where he reigned. He didn't reign in a city outside of his kingdom. That makes no sense and is very silly and stupid. It's a very dumb idea. Well, of course, Nebuchadnezzar represents or is just a picture of the Antichrist. So where is the Antichrist? We, we, we know this already. Where does the Antichrist reign from? Where is he seated? Where is his seat at? Where does he go in and declare himself to be God? Exactly, the temple. So where is he reigning from? It's very clear. He's reigning from Jerusalem. When the two prophets come down, do you know where they go? That great city. 
And it makes sense that they're there and they're preaching at, straight at the Antichrist and just disrupting everything in his kingdom. And just, you know, just going in there in the heat of the battle and just preaching at them, right? And they have obviously all these supernatural powers that the Lord gave them. Why are they there? Because that's where the Antichrist is. That is the, you know, the seat of Satan at that time. That's where he's, he's reigning from, right? Just like... In Babylon of the Old Testament, in 5th century B.C., Nebuchadnezzar reigned from Babylon. Now, there are many people that say, oh, well, it's the Roman Catholic Church, or, oh, it's the United States of America. You would have to believe that the USA is Babylon, but the Antichrist is reigning in Jerusalem. That he's seated in Jerusalem in the temple, but Babylon is way over in, on, on a different continent you know, just thousands of miles away. That's just stupid and silly on its face. It makes no sense. It's, it's actually, it seems simple, but it's a very good point just to show how, because of how, you know, uh, uh, silly and dumb, you know, their view is when it comes to that. So obviously, that doesn't even make sense. It, it's a reflection of Christ's kingdom. When, when, when the Antichrist wants to be like the Christ, doesn't he? Wants to be like Jesus. Where is Jesus going to reign from? Jerusalem. That's his kingdom, isn't it? He reigns from his kingdom. That's where his seat is set up in the temple. Well, the Antichrist wants to do the same thing. Doesn't it make sense that that would be his kingdom? That's where his seat is set up. That's where he's reigning and ruling from. So that's just a simple point. Uh, I want you to go to the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter number 1. <coughs> Jerusalem is called a whore or a harlot all throughout the Bible. They're the only city that's referred to as a whore and a harlot. The reason why is because they are whoring around on God spiritually. That's the whole purpose of why they are called a whore. Then we get to the book of Revelation and we see this great whore that's whoring around and committing fornication with idols even it talks about and getting other people to commit fornication and spreading their false doctrine. Well, that's what... Israel of the Old Testament did. That's what Jerusalem of the Old Testament did. And the reason why they were called a whore or a harlot is because it was like they were, you know, being, you know, uh, unfaithful unto God. Like they were cheating on God almost because there was an analogy of him being their husband and the city being the bride or the wife. Look at Isaiah chapter number 1, verse number 21. This would be a perfect opening verse for this sermon. It says, How is the faithful city become an harlot? It was full of judgment, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Now there in Revelation, or I'm sorry, in Isaiah chapter number 1 verse 21, that city that it's referring to is Jerusalem. And over and over again we can see the city of Jerusalem or the, the uh, nation of Israel just called a whore and a harlot just repeatedly. And they are the only city that's called a whore and a harlot throughout the Bible, ever. But then you expect me to believe we get to Revelation and all of a sudden there's this new whore, this new harlot that just pops up that never been discussed before. And it's totally incompatible with the reason why God called Jerusalem a whore. Just from verse number 21, why is the city of Jerusalem called a harlot and a whore? Notice it says, how is the faithful city? What is he referring to? He's referring to the fidelity that exists between marriage. He's referring to the faithfulness that exists between a husband and a wife. And he's saying, this city used to be faithful or used to be filled with fidelity in our relationship. They were faithful unto me, but now what happened? They became a harlot or they became a whore. That is what Jerusalem is referred to as and that's why they're referred to as a whore. Why would Babylon be called a whore and a harlot? Makes perfect sense. Go to Ezekiel chapter 16. And we're going to go back here again for another proof in just a moment. But look at Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 28. 
Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 28. There are tons of proofs that I'm not showing you too. This is speaking of uh, the city of Jerusalem. <coughs> and also, um, it's speaking of Samaria. Look at verse number 28. It says, Thou hast played the whore also with the Assyrians, because thou wast unsatiable, yea, thou hast played the harlot with them, and yet couldst not be satisfied. That's talking about the city of Jerusalem playing the whore, playing the harlot against God, not being faithful in their relationship and their covenant that they made with one another. Just like a husband and a wife make a covenant, the, the nation of Israel, you know, the city of Jerusalem, if you will, made a covenant with God and they were unfaithful you know, to that covenant and God refers to them as a harlot and a whore. That's why uh, we see the great horde in the book of Revelation. Not only that, this is extremely powerful truths. We're going to compare Scripture with Scripture here. Leave one, your left hand, so one hand in the Old Testament. That would be your left hand. But then also in your right hand, flip back to Revelation. We're going to do this twice. Go to Revelation chapter number 18. <clears throat> Get Revelation chapter number 18, verse number 21 in your right hand. And then in your left hand... <coughs> Right there close to where you are, just a couple of books back, go to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter number 7, verse number 34. Jeremiah chapter number 7, verse number 34. <coughs> Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 34. <coughs> it says this, Jeremiah 7, 34. <coughs> then will I cause to cease from the cities of Judah. Now watch this. And from the streets of Jerusalem, the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, for the land shall be desolate. What city is he talking about? He's talking about the city of Jerusalem. Now, is this something that has already happened at the time that verse 34 is penned down? Or is it something that's going to take place in the future? Is it prophetic? Well, it tells you very clearly, then, so at that time, in the future it's speaking of, will I cause to cease from the cities of Judah? And then he mentions specifically, and from the streets of Jerusalem. So this is a prophecy about what city that's going to take place. On what city? The city of Jerusalem. We'll go to Revelation chapter number 18. Revelation chapter number 18, <clears throat> verse number 21, it says this. <coughs> Actually, not verse 21. Uh, let's skip down. Well, we'll read 21 through 23. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. And the voice of harpers and musicians and of pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. And no craftsman of, of whatsoever craft he be shall, shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. Now watch verse 23. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. Did you notice what that was? That in Revelation chapter number 18 verse 21 is actually the prophecy that's being fulfilled from Jeremiah chapter number 7. And you know what you're told in Jeremiah chapter number 7? That that is going to come to pass upon what city? The city of Jerusalem. When we get to the New Testament, we see end times Babylon in the book of Revelation. What city does it come to pass on? It comes to pass on Babylon. It comes to pass on the great whore, the mother of harlots, right? The end times Babylon city, the great city, 
which we know, of course, would have to be Jerusalem. Now, there's no other city. I want you to listen to this. Outside of Babylon of the Old Testament, Babylon of the Old Testament, there are prophecies that are prophesied about Babylon of the Old Testament that end up coming to pass about Babylon of the New Testament, the end times. But outside of Babylon of the Old Testament and Jerusalem, there's no other prophecies that are prophesied about a city being destroyed, like we just saw, of Jerusalem, and then it comes to pass on end times Babylon. Isn't that kind of funny? Isn't that kind of, kind of odd? That it's only Jerusalem. It's end times, it's you know, Old Testament Babylon, of course, because it's a picture of New Testament Babylon. And it wasn't about that Babylon. It's about the Babylon that's going to be the kingdom of, the, of the, the end of the world. But then he has specific, very specific detailed prophecies where he says, hey, this is the way that I'm going to destroy you. This is what I'm going to do to you. And at that time, you know, I'm going to cause there to be no mirth. I'm going to cause the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride to cease. And it'll be, it won't be heard no more at all in thee. The candle won't be shining anymore in thee. Where does that happen? Babylon. So the prophecy is clearly and 100% fulfilled upon Babylon when it was about who? Jerusalem. Therefore, it must be fulfilled upon Jerusalem. God's not a liar. That has to come to pass sometime or another. When? Oh, you just don't want it to be Jerusalem, huh? That's what somebody would do. They go, oh, well, wait, wait. No. He said it was going to come to pass. And the only scripture where that ever happens is right here in the book of Revelation. Isn't that kind of funny? So it has to take place. The same city that it says, hey, I'm going to send every prophet and apostle here. You guys are going to kill them all. And then it says, hey, you know what I, I'm going to do? I'm going to avenge the blood of the prophets and of the apostles. But people want to try to act like it's some harebrained theory. No, it's watertight. You have no way out of it. There are no other options. There is no other choice, and you couldn't convince me otherwise. You could sit there until you're blue in the face. You would have just as much opportunity of trying to convince me that I could lose my salvation. Do you know how, what the percentage is on that? Zero. Not a chance. Because it's clear in Scripture. Do you know why I believe salvation is by grace through faith alone and that I can't lose my salvation? Because it's so emphatically taught in the Bible. It's over and over and over again, and it's just clear, and it's just written down. It's very obvious. There's no misunderstanding it. There's no misconstruing it. I use that language when I talk to people at the door when I'm soul winning. These are verses that you just can't misconstrue. You can't misunderstand. Who's, who's heard me say that when I give them the invitation? I say, hey, there's just verses on the back right there that just explain that salvation you know, is a free gift. It's just by believing in Him alone, and you receive eternal life, and you can never lose it. And they're verses that you can never misunderstand or misconstrue. These verses about Babylon being Jerusalem are the same way. There's no misconstruing them. There's no misunderstanding them. And every time, it's very clear and it points back to the same city just over and over and over and over again. Prophecies about Jerusalem being destroyed are fulfilled on Babylon. Let's look at another one. We have another prophecy. <coughs> Go to, <coughs> while you're there, still look at Revelation 18, 2. Revelation chapter number 18, verse 2, it says, And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen and is become the habitation of devils in the hold of every foul spirit in a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Look at Jeremiah chapter number 5, verse number 27. So I have to say before we turned here that I did not look this back up to make sure that it was speaking about Jerusalem, but I'm almost positive that it is. Look at verse number 27. It says... <clears throat> As a cage is full of birds, so are their houses full of deceit. Therefore they are become great and waxen rich. They are waxen fat, they shine, yea, they overpass the deeds of the wicked. They judge not the cause, the cause of the fatherless, yet they prosper. And the right of the needy do they not 
judge. Yeah, it's speaking about Jerusalem. You can check it, but if you look up, look at verse 20. Declare this in the house of Jacob and publish it in Judah, saying... And then he goes on to just preach to them over and over and over again. And notice what he's talking about. He's talking about the city of Judah and Jerusalem being as a cage is full of birds, so are their houses full of deceit. Now, do you, did you see that in Revelation 18.2? It said what? It said in Revelation 18.2, <coughs> it says... Uh, and is become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. What's it speak? Notice it said is become. What does that imply? What do you think about this? Is become means that they weren't before. Kind of like how has the faithful city become an harlot? What does it mean? What does it mean? It's fallen, it's fallen. What is all this talking about? Saying it's spiritually fallen. Saying it used to not be this. Saying it used to be what? A faithful city. But now it's become an harlot. Who is it talking about again? A prophecy in the Old Testament speaking about Jerusalem is fulfilled and requoted when we get to Babylon of the New Testament. Very, very clear. I want you to look at, this is <coughs> an amazing proof as well too. Look at Revelation chapter 17. The destruction of the great whore is also actually a prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem. Look at uh, Revelation chapter 17. Look at verse 15. It says this, and he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples and, and multitudes and nations and tongues. Verse 16. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, watch this, these shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but these... Ten kings here, uh, the horns were ten kings, and these were, these were kings or kingdoms that she was committing fornication with, right? She was deceiving them, and she was committing fornication with them, and this was a part of her whoring around, spreading her false religion and her false doctrine throughout the entire world. It has to do with the end times religion being you know, Judaism, and that image being set up in all the world, worshiping that image and committing fornication by through this idolatry. I want you to go back to Ezekiel... <clears throat> chapter 16 where we were earlier and we'll see that this is actually a prophecy of how Jerusalem would be destroyed. Ezekiel chapter number 16 and then we're going to look at a couple of places here. <clears throat> Ezekiel chapter 16, it's just repeated over and over again. Look at uh, Ezekiel 16, look at verse 37. <clears throat> well, First, let's look at, we'll begin in verse 35. Wherefore, O harlot, this is speaking to Jerusalem, hear the word of the Lord, thus saith the Lord God, because thy filthiness was poured out and thy nakedness discovered through thy whoredoms, with thy lovers and with all the idols of thy abominations, and by the blood of thy children which thou didst give unto them, behold, therefore I will gather, watch this, all thy lovers whom thou hast taken pleasure, and all them that thou hast loved, with all them that thou hast hated. I will even gather them round about against thee and will discover thy nakedness unto them that they may see all thy nakedness. And I will judge thee, watch this, as women that break wedlock and shed blood are judged. And I will give thee blood in fury and jealousy. So notice very clearly what it says. It says, hey, this is a whore. This is a harlot. You've, you've cheated on me. You've, you know, you've committed, you know, you, you, you've uh, went out and committed wedlock, like those that have committed wedlock, right? And he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to gather all of them that you've committed fornication with, all of your lovers, right, that you took pleasure with, everyone you committed fornication with, I'm going to gather them against you 
And I'm going to use them to judge you and destroy you. And plus, I'm going to make you naked. Well, what did it say in Revelation 17 and how Jerusalem was going to be destroyed? I'll remind you, it said this, And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Exactly the way in which it says that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed and prophesies of it. Look at verse 23 as well in the same chapter. It says this in verse 23. And it came to pass after all thy wickedness, woe, woe unto thee, saith the Lord God, that thou hast also built unto thee an imminent place and hast made thee a high place in every street, that thou hast build, built thy high place at every head of the way, and hast made thy beauty to be abhorred, and hast opened thy feet to everyone that passed by and multiplied thy whoredoms. Watch this. Thou hast also committed fornication with the Egyptians, thy neighbors, great of flesh, and hast increased thy whoredoms to provoke me to anger. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter number 21 now. So notice very clearly that it explains the way in which she is going to be destroyed, the way she's going to die. It even goes into great detail in saying that she's going to be burnt with fire. I'll go, I'll go ahead and read that to you. <clears throat> In verse 39, I for, it was actually these, these verses past that that I forgot to, leave, uh, to read to you. Ezekiel 16 verse number 39 says this, And I will also give thee into their hand, and they shall throw down thine imminent place, and shall break down thy high places. They shall strip thee also of thy clothes, and shall take thy fair jewels, and leave thee naked and bare. That's the exact wording that's used in Revelation 17. But further it says this, They shall also bring up a company against thee, and they shall stone thee with stones, and thrust thee through with their swords, and they shall burn thine houses with fire. What was the other thing it said that they were going to do to the great whore? They were going to burn her with fire, they were going to make her na naked and desolate and bare, is what it said that they were going to do, because she was committing whoredoms, because she was committing fornication. So, the way in which Jerusalem is prophesied of being destroyed is actually fulfilled very specifically and very clearly on in times Babylon. Another amazing proof to show that uh, in times Babylon is <clears throat> uh, Jerusalem. I want you to go now to Revelation chapter number 21 as I said. We're going to look at a contrast to here. And this is very important because there's a running uh, uh, teaching in the New Testament on this. Look at Revelation 21. It says this, and there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. Now, what is a bride? What is a wife? It's someone you have a covenant with. It's someone that you love. It's someone that you adore. It's someone that's faithful unto you. This is who a bride is. This is, you know, the, uh, a wife. Look at what it says in verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. Now watch this. And showed me that great city. Now does that sound familiar? Look at what it says next. The holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. Go to Revelation 17. What is the title that was given to Jerusalem that was on this earth? That great city. So notice this strong parallel, but not only that, I want you to notice how uh, 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 the angel introduces the idea of when he's going to reveal the judgment of the great whore also to John in Revelation 17. He says, And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, That sound familiar? That is verbatim what was said just a moment ago. 
And he said in, in Revelation, just to remind you, because it's very important to, for Bible knowledge and just to grow in understanding. Revelation 21.9, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me. It's almost verbatim. And then he shows him a city, and it's that great city, but it's specifically holy Jerusalem. In Revelation chapter number 17, it's the same statement, and there came unto me, and there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the what does it say this time? The great whore. So notice that you have this, 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 this strong parallel, these similarities between it's an obvious parallel that's meant to be shown here. Between what? A, a whore, a great whore that has been doing what? She's been cheating. Whore and harlot every time in the Bible in the Old Testament is referring to the city of Jerusalem. Why are they called a whore? Isaiah 121 defines it for you. Because you were faithful and you're not anymore. So what you have in Revelation 17 is you have a city that's a whore. You have a city that's a harlot that's being unfaithful. Just like they were all throughout the Old Testament. And the seven angel, one of the seven angels that had the plagues shows the judgment of this great whore. Right? But then also we have in Revelation 21, you have a bride, right? A bride is, a wife is someone that's going to be faithful. It's someone that you love. She's clean. She's pure. A virgin's pure. What's a whore? Disgusting, dirty, evil, wicked, unfaithful, right? You see this clear parallel. They're both called that great city. Who, what is that great city in Revelation 21? Holy Jerusalem. What is that great city every other time? It's talking about Babylon. And one time it actually identifies it as what? Babylon, what? Which now is. Now this is a running theme throughout the New Testament. I want you to go to Galatians chapter number 4. Galatians chapter number 4. <clears throat> Why is that? That is because <coughs> Jerusalem which now is. Jerusalem which is on this earth. Jerusalem that was on this earth at the time of Jesus. They're under the old covenant still. Because they've rejected the Lord. They've rejected God. God brought that new covenant to them and they rejected it. They stayed under that old covenant. They rejected God. They became you know, anti-Christ where they were against Christ. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. They denied that He was the Christ. So you have them on one side, but then you have the new covenant with Christians. <coughs> you have this one city that the citizens thereof are, you know, they're not you know, Christians. They're not serving the Lord. They're not godly. But over here you have this other city where the citizens thereof are godly. They are Christians. They're serving the Lord. They're faithful. Look at Galatians <coughs> chapter number 4 and you'll see this contrast made once again. Where they're both likened unto women, both cities, and one replaces the other. There's Jerusalem which now is, but it's replaced by holy Jerusalem. Look at Galatians chapter number 4 verse 22. It says, For it is written, that Abraham had two sons, the one by a, a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, watch this, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is. Notice how he says that. Jerusalem which now is. He's saying this is the Jerusalem that's on this earth right now. And then it says, and is in bondage with her children. Notice that Jerusalem which now is, is in bondage with her children. In the book of Revelation, when it speaks of the whore and the harlot, over and over again, you know what it talks about? Her children. It mentions that many different times. Look at what it says next in verse 26. But Jerusalem which is above 
is free. Now watch this, which is the mother of us all. Contrast it again. We have Jerusalem, which now is bondage, bad, wicked, unfaithful. You know, the, the children thereof are in bondage. Then we have another Jerusalem. There's two Jerusalems. They're both women, aren't they? Then we have another Jerusalem that's of faithful people. People that serve the Lord, that are saved. And which Jerusalem is, is the one that's on the earth now? It's the Jerusalem, which now is, that's on this earth today. And it will one day be replaced by what? Jerusalem which is above. In Revelation chapter number 21, where does he see that holy Jerusalem? Coming down from God. It comes down from God and then it rests upon the earth. Notice this contrast. So another strong, strong truth to Jerusalem being Babylon is understanding that they're both women. And they're both that great city. And it's one Jerusalem replacing the other. This is a part of the promise of the Old Testament where God speaks of restoring Jerusalem and restoring the kingdom. This is an aspect of Him fulfilling that promise. I also want you to go to Revelation chapter 17. This is the last point. Re Revelation chapter number 17. <clears throat> and this is somewhat subtle, but it's interesting, so I wanted to end with this. <coughs> The co nothing in the Bible is coincidental, incidental, or accidental. Everything is purposed. Everything is obviously thought out by the Lord. There's nothing in there, even when you're reading about the ten ends and how every, the mortise and everything goes together. It's all, you can learn something from that. God's teaching you something there. Well, we're given the colors of the, the great whore. Specifically, this whore is, 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 is seen in a vision, and God wants you to know what colors she has on. God has her in this vision with certain colors. There's a certain reason why. She has these particular colors. Let's look at what the colors are. Look at uh, verse number 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. Now I want you to notice what it says she was arrayed with. What are the colors? It says purple and scarlet. And then it says she was arrayed with precious stones and it goes on to talk about gold and things like that as well. Go back to the Old Testament. Slide a bulletin in there. Go back to the Old Testament the book of Exodus. <clears throat> There's many you know, places that I could have went. I wanted you to turn to all of these. That's why I'm not reading them to you. But go to Exodus chapter number 25. I want to show you a pattern. That God, when God had the tabernacle built, He had the temple built, He gave very specific colors that He wanted the tabernacle to be. Look at Exodus chapter number 25, look at verse number 4, it says this, speaking of the tabernacle and the covering thereof, it says, and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair. You notice something there? Blue, purple, scarlet, fine linen, goat's hair. So notice those same colors there, we see purple and scarlet. Go to Exodus 26.1. Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains on, of fine twine linen and blue and purple and scarlet. You notice those colors? Blue, purple, and scarlet. Go now to uh, verse 31. <clears throat> verse number 31. And thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet. So notice that again. And fine twine linen of cunning work with cherubims shall it be made. It goes on in verse 32. Notice this. And thou shalt hang it upon four pillars of shittim wood. 
uh, overlaid with gold, their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver. Uh, verse 33, And thou shalt hang up the veil under the tatches, and, thou shalt, and that, that thou mayest bring in thither within the veil the ark of the testimony, and the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy. So notice that gold was mentioned as well. And we could do this. There's other, many, many other places in the Old Testament where these, these colors are repeated. Where when God chooses out a color, He has specific colors that He wants things in the tabernacle and the tabernacle itself to be. The veils, all different types of stuff. And you notice there was a pattern there of the colors that were mentioned. And what were they? Blue, purple, scarlet, and if we were to keep looking, we'd see gold over and over and over again. That's another one. Gold, is, it reoccurs. Now the goat's hair and the ram skins dyed, dyed red, that doesn't keep repeating. That doesn't keep repeating. That's only on the outside. But the blue, the scarlet, the purple, and gold over and over and over again. Notice that. Well, with that in mind, go back to Revelation chapter number 17. You should have had a bulletin there. <clears throat> Let's look at those colors again. Revelation 17, 4, it says this. And the woman was arrayed, it says, in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. Do you notice that those colors are very, very similar, aren't they? They're extremely similar. We see gold, we see purple, and we see scarlet. But what color's missing? Blue is missing. Well, that's not an accident. That's not, you know, uh, uh, just a coincidence. I want you to go in your Bible to Numbers chapter number 15. There was a very specific reason why they had blue. Blue was meant to represent something. Now, this happens in the New Testament with the book of Revelation quite often. And when I say this, I'm referring to these subtle differences. When we look at the Antichrist, what does he look like? He's very, very similar to who? The Lord Jesus Christ. He's not exactly the same. There are subtle differences. Now, this is supposed to show you how deceptive the Antichrist is. Do you know what else it shows you? How deceptive that this one world government and this one world religion will be. It shows you how close to the truth it will be. Now, of all the religions, all the false religions in the world, what religion would you say is the closest to Christianity? What would you say? As far as what books do they claim that they believe? Who actually even picks up? Muslims don't even read the Bible. They read the Quran. Let me answer that real quick. They read the Quran, right? They don't read the Bible. If you talk to them, I've talked to them tons of times. I'm sure you have too when you go out. I ask them you know, questions. About they don't read the Bible. But, you know, and the Jews, they don't... <coughs> If you meet devout ones, sometimes they do, but they at least have an allegiance by their mouths, just like they did you know, with God in the Old Testament, right? They have an allegiance to what? The Torah, right? Moses. So what would be of all the false religions in the world the closest to biblical Christianity? Of all false religions that aren't considered Christianity at all? It'd be Judaism for sure. They're claiming that they're waiting for a Messiah, right? They, they claim that they believe, a lot of, some of them will say they believe in heaven and hell, right? You know, you could find sects that believe very similar in, in things regarding to Old Testament stuff, especially to us. It would be, that would be the closest religion uh, of false religions. Of course, they're false and it's an antichrist religion and it will, if you, if you, you know, believed what they believed and you didn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Bible, you're not saved. You have to believe in the Bible and the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to accept Him as your Messiah. That, this, he was the true Messiah. If you look at Numbers chapter number 15, it's going to tell us 
the significance of that blue and what that was meant. It was meant to ring an alarm in your mind. Look at Numbers chapter 15, look at verse 37. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and bid them that they make them fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations. I want you to notice, this is supposed to be something that's continual that goes on. And that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue. Now watch this. And it shall be unto you for a fringe that ye may look upon it <coughs> and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. Now watch this. And that ye seek not after your own heart and your own eyes after which ye used to go a uh, what? Whoring. Now notice that word. After which ye used to go a whoring. So there's one color missing from the great whore. What does it mean after which you used to go a whoring? What's he talking about? He's talking about going and worshiping other false gods or false idols specifically. And he's saying that I want all of the priests to include a blue fringe that's going to go in their garments. They're going to include this blue fringe that's going to go in their garments. And I want it to continue throughout all generations. And the purpose is that I want them to look on it. And I want it to remind them, to bring to mind what? Not to go a-whoring. You see the, the gray whore pop up. She showed up and there's specific colors that are given. And they're all the colors of the Old Testament tabernacle and Old Testament Judaism, if you will, right? Which is not what Judaism is, not Old Testament. You know, they were Christians in the Old Testament. You know, Moses believed in Christ and was looking for his reward from Christ. You know, he, he endured as seeing him, which is invisible. But here's the thing. What, they, what the, the whore has is she has all the colors of the tabernacle of the Old Testament except one. Just one's missing. Just one subtle difference. It shouldn't be that big of a deal, right? But it's a very specific calculated color. And which color is it? It's the color of blue. The very color that was, that was meant to give you an alarm. It was meant to remind you of something. And what was it meant to remind you? Don't go after the whore. Don't go a-whoring after other religions. Do you know what the whore is? Do you know what the whore does? She deceives all nations with her fornications. That's referring to spiritual fornication. It's referring to a false religion where the Antichrist comes and he says, we, this is the true religion and I am the Messiah. What religion prophesies of a Messiah? The Old Testament scriptures, right? Let's just narrow it down to that in a very vaguer, general way. Well, this Antichrist shows up and he says, hey, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Christ. I'm fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament of this. So obviously, who's he saying is not the Christ? Jesus, right? So this is someone that is of Judaism. I'm the Messiah. And this religion is spread throughout the whole world. And you know what it's doing? It's, it's causing all these people to commit fornication with worshiping of this idol that is of himself. And you know what God gave to the Jews of the Old Testament to remind them just in case this ever happened? The color blue. So the Antichrist is very subtle when he comes, and the great whore is very subtle in this religion, and it leaves out one thing. It leaves out the color blue. Because you know what he doesn't want to do? He doesn't want to remind them not to go whoring after other idols and other gods like they used to. I want you to go to Revelation chapter 18, and we're going to end there. <clears throat> 
Revelation chapter number 18. <clears throat> the whole reason that I <coughs> started preaching this series is because, of course, the signs of the times. Looking around, the things that are going on, the things that are happening. It, it, it looks very much so like things are winding towards the end times. Like things are being put into place, like the, you know, the pieces are being moved, the chess pieces are being moved where they need to. They're making all these strategic, you know, decisions that point towards a lot of the prophecies that need to be fulfilled and are, are prophesied of in the book of Revelation. And the reason for preaching through a series like this is the same reason why you need to read and be familiar with the book of Revelation on your own personal time and study. And it's to be aware. You know, I started the series off with telling you that the whole purpose of the book of Revelation is to do what? To show unto His servants things which must shortly come to pass. We are, God wants us to know that mystery Babylon, who it is. That's why it's so clear in Scripture. God wants us to know that the Antichrist is coming. God wants us to be aware of these things. And why would He tell us that? Because if we're not aware of those things, there is what? Danger. There's a fear there of being harmed or being hurt or something bad happening. Right? Look at Revelation chapter 18. I want you to notice what it says right here in verse 4. It's a call from God. <clears throat> and I heard another voice from heaven saying... Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. I want you to notice that there's a call there that says, Come out of her, my people. Come out of who? Come out of the great whore. Come out of mystery Babylon. He wants, them to he wants his people, God's people, Christians... To leave this great city. To not have what? An allegiance there. To not be living there. To not be close to her. Or to have some sort of agreement with her. Or to support her. Now, as I said, I want you to put all of these different things in your mind. Of all of the false religions in the world, what false religion are Christians more likely to support? Judaism. What city do... All, all Christians, what are they obsessed with? What city? You know, Jerusalem. They're obsessed with it. What Bible-believing, born-again Christian do you need to say, come out of her, my people, if we're talking about Roman Catholic Church? What? Are there just a bunch of born-again Christians going to Catholic churches? You might find some, but very, very few. There may be being forced to go with their Catholic wife. Maybe that's the kind of a situation. You'll find a few here and there. What Bible-believing Christian, you know, would, would, you know is, 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 has any ties to any other false religion in the world? No one. None. You can't think of anyone. This is, this is yeah, it's a city. It's not a country in the first place. It's a city specifically because it's a city that's destroyed. That's what's destroyed here. Okay? But furthermore, this city is a city which is spreading false religion. It has to do with the religion. That's why she's called a great whore in the first place. She's causing them to commit fornication with idols. So it's a religion that people are wrapped up in. So if somebody said, oh, it's the United States of America because where do most Christians dwell? It's not a religion, okay? We're not causing the world to commit fornication with idols. That's stupid. It doesn't even make sense. But do you know who does? Do you know who did all throughout the Bible? Jerusalem! They cause people to commit fornication with idols all the time. That's what he was constantly getting on them about. Every time he called them a whore and a harlot. And that's actually what caused them to be a harlot. Because they were unfaithful under the covenant that they had made with God. 
That is, this is a real serious warning. I believe the Bible is a very serious warning. Come out of her, my people. That's a call from God to stay away from this false religion and to stay away from Zionism. It's dangerous. And you know in the Bible, in the New Testament, and I don't see how Christians don't see it because this was the first thing. Way before I ever understood the, the, the rapture was post-trib, one thing that I started noticing because I was actually reading the Bible on my own was that the New Testament is very anti-Jew. I'm not talking about an ethnicity. I'm talking about those that subscribe to a religion, which it just so happens to be, you know, this ethical group a lot of times. But if you convert to it, it's talking about you too. It's the religion is specifically what it's talking about. I started noticing, like, man, the New Testament is like, beware of, you know, beware of the concision. Like, think about that. You know, it's just constantly talking bad about the Jews and their religion. It's very bad. They're called the Antichrist. In the book of Revelation itself, in the very beginning, it's like speaking about the Jews as the synagogue of Satan. It's obviously relative to the end times as well. Yeah, it's a church at that exact time that was written to it, but it's end times Bible prophecy. It's going to be very relative to the people that are sitting down and reading it right before, you know, all of these events play out and unwind. You know what it says? Come out of her, my people. That tells me that even when these events take place, even if it is in another 50 years, even if it is in another 100 years, there's still going to be a lot of Christians that are wrapped up in this false religion in some way or another. A lot of Christians that are still just, they're, they're seeking rabbis' advice. God rejecting, God hating rabbi Jews who, who, who do not believe the Bible. They do not believe in the Messiah. They do not believe in the Christ. They reject him and they are referred to as the synagogue of Satan. They're called the Antichrist. And you have Christians that, that look up what rabbis think about stuff. That quote what a rabbi believes. Do you know what he's saying? Come out of her, my people. The people that are aware of the dangers of Zionism... The people that are aware that Jerusalem is Babylon, they have, they have a foot up on those that do not. They have an advantage. <clears throat> There's a major advantage to those that do. If you take heed to the warning. We need to make sure that we never get caught up in this garbage of Zionism. We need to make sure that we never get caught up in any way or another. And people always say, it'll never happen to me. That's a dangerous way to believe and think about anything. I'll never fall out of church. I'll never do this. I'll never do that. And then those same people, that happens to. So don't have this attitude. I'll never get caught up in that. You know, there's this, there's this appeal to Judaism of it being like majestic. It, being, it having like this, this you know, mystique that it carries. Because it comes from like Eastern mysticism. It's you know, tied in with you know, the Babylonian Talmud. That's why. And they try to like get you to like the Hebrew feasts and festivals that they celebrate. And they, want, they try to get Christians in you know, in fundamental Baptist churches, they celebrate like the Passover of the Old Testament. They, they have like a shofar. They'll put on a yarmulke. Come out of her, my people. Don't have anything to do with that false religion. We have nothing to do with Zionism. Zionism, the political movement and the religion of Judaism, which is not Old Testament Christianity, is of the devil. It's of Satan, and it will be the Antichrist religion, and he will come out of a Zionism movement eventually. Do you know what we need to do? We need to keep our eye on the city of Jerusalem. We need to keep our eye on that area and everything that's going on there because we know what is going to happen there eventually. We know what the Bible prophesies of this, and that's why it's, it's very important to have 
you know, a series like this preached, Bible studies on your own personal time, looking at and analyzing these types of things, and being aware of what's about to happen in the world, and knowing where to look, knowing what the Antichrist looks like, knowing what that city looks like. Babylon, Brother Hall left a comment when I preached my original uh, uh, series. He said, Babylon USA is a fraud, right? Perfectly true, 100% true. You know what else is a fraud? Babylon Roman Catholic Church. I didn't even go over this. The seven hill, hills theory. The seven hills are seven mountains that represent kingdoms. That's not an identifier of the city. That's a stupid misunderstanding. It's, it's so stupid it's aggravating. That's not what that is teaching at all. Mountains represent kingdoms in the Bible. And that is in the book of Daniel even. So that doesn't tell you what city that is. You know, you know what tells you very clearly what city that is? The, the identifier of that great city. You know what else does? Tells you what that city is or what Babylon is? The only city that killed the apostles and prophets. You only have one choice. Jerusalem is Babylon. Case closed. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for revealing these things to us, dear Lord. We thank you for not... You know, being biased and, and uh, dear Lord God, and, and uh, you know, showing favoritism just to a group of people, but <coughs> being a fair, you know, uh, God and a fair judge, and uh, just giving the opportunity to all of mankind to be saved. Uh, we thank you for the warnings that are found in the Book of Revelation. We love you so much, and just be with us and bless us, dear God, in these in these times that we're going through these uncertain times. Help us to make the right decisions for us and our families, dear Lord. Protect us. Uh, do what you will for us, dear God. Help us to be pleasing in your sight and to know what we need to do and how we need to live and strengthen ourselves and to be prepared for whatever is going to come our way. Uh, help us to prepare ourselves mostly spiritually. And we love you and bless everyone that's here. Bless our church. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.